Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is good to have you once again, Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger, and uh, good morning. We're officially going to be doing this three days a week starting soon, but today a little President's Day especial. How you doing, Larry? What's going on, man? How are you? How was your weekend? Uh, you know, without football, it felt alone. It was a it was a less than interesting sports weekend all the way around. My uh, my Hoosiers embarrassed themselves at home against Northwestern. I'm not a big auto racing fan, but I'm always down for like 50 laps of the Daytona 500. Didn't get that. That got rained out. I was hoping the Tiger would make the cut at Riviera. Larry, he limped off the field uh, and withdrew after the first round. That didn't happen. You got Kenny Smith ruining the uh the steph curry sabrina shootout by saying ah she should have shot from the girls line uh the worst all-star game money can buy is what we got in the nba uh you know at, at least at least we got jorge solar right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right at, at least we have the giants you know at least at the very least uh yeah i actually took the weekend and watched my my kids play a lot of sports uh my 14-year-old played a little flag football, got a chance to watch him do that. He's getting good. And then he, I watched him go for like 40 uh, in the basketball game on Saturday night. So I was very excited to see that. Got our first win. A 40-piece? Dropped a 40-piece, man. He, he Seriously, he was he was really he – he had it cooking, man. Well, I, I made him a bet before the game. I said, look, dude, I cannot watch you anymore – shoot all these shots within three feet of the bucket and not use the backboard use the backboard and you're going to score a lot more all those 50 50 shots that roll out they're all going down if you use the backboard so dad dad stop telling me to use the i'm like stop fighting me on this use the backboard he's like dad this isn't 1950 i'm like i go it's not about what year it is use the goddamn backboard and so he took my advice. He used the backboard. Fundamentals. And look and at that. that. Look, I mean, you know, if you're playing and you use the backboard, they're all going down for you. You know, you're going to get a lot more, a lot more, uh, you're going to make a lot more shots than you realize. So sure sure enough, he used the backboard. So we had baseball, we had basketball, we had flag football. We had a lot going on this weekend. No football. It did feel a little weird without football, but we were getting no football either way. That's right. There was no football coming to us, officially unavailable. I'm glad we're teaching some fundamentals to the youth. Good job, Larry. Little kiss off the backboard is a good way to go ahead and get yourself a gaudy point total. Uh, I had to bribe him. I had to bribe him, Damon. I had to say um, every time you don't use the backboard in a backboard situation, you owe me a buck. Every time you do use the backboard, I'll pay you a buck. <laughs> So I had to like go. I had to literally bribe him to use the backboard, and finally, you know, he went for forty, and we got our first win. All right. First of all, so I love that you're running your own like name, image, and likeness. Uh, uh, you, you're basically funding your own kids' nil. <laughs> yeah, just use the backboard, and you get twenty bucks, kid. That's um, right. It's like hey, I, I, I'm like Greg Williams with the bounty system. You know, I've got a bounty on the, you know, incentivizing certain behavior. 
Well, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to teach the children. Uh, like and subscribe if you would, please. It is wonderful to have you here. And again, Larry and I are very excited to announce to you that Wake Up by Popular Demand is going to be coming to you as a three-day-a-week show starting on March 4th, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Larry and I will be at it with a very tight 45-minute show that fits perfectly into your morning, into your lunch hour, wherever you want to use it. It is going to be just waiting for you. So we're very, very excited about bringing this to you. And it will be, like I said, a tight 45 minutes. Very Today tight. We'll be a little bit of a meandering, whatever we want to do, because it's President's Day, Larry. We, we got no responsibilities beyond this. Um, let's see. Here we are living in a post-Super Bowl world where the 49ers have lost another one. It feels like the actual heat, the actual intensity of the loss has backed, you know, backed off a little bit, and now we're a week away from it. Um, but we certainly have some incredibly, what I'm going to call, annoying post-Super Bowl storylines that I think you and I should spend the first 20 minutes of today's show either highlighting or extinguishing once and for all. And the first thing that I would just like to put to bed for no more debate, no more think pieces, no more flow charts. I don't want to see anything else about how Kyle made the right choice in overtime. I don't want to see it. And if you're leaning into analytics to prove to me that Kyle made the right choice, I'm going to tell you that this is the first Super Bowl ever contested under these new overtime rules. Therefore, there really are no analytics and anything that you might have would be concluded as a small sample size in any other sports conversation out there. It was a mistake, full stop, to give Patrick Mahomes a chance to beat you. And maybe that's the, the, the key of it all. Forget about first possession, second possession. The job was don't let Patrick Mahomes beat you. And I felt that Taking the ball first opened the door to that happening more than it shut the door to that happening. I don't know why Niners fans who spent all regular season explaining how Kyle Shanahan was bad at this actually get to a moment where they can criticize a decision that he made and then they're defending him almost blindly. It's it's a little weird, isn't it? Well, just just we all need just need to say, okay, um, <clears throat> We like Kyle Shanahan. We want to keep him as the head coach. Um, and there you go. I mean, they lost the game. Okay. So right there, you know, whatever you did always is going to be called into question. But it's a, it's, you know, I mean, you saw the video of the, of Dave Taub, who's like one of the most accomplished special teams coaches in the NFL in the last three decades. And he said, guys, we got what we wanted. So, I mean, the other team's supposed to say, we didn't get what we wanted. Damn it. We lost the coin flip. They got what they wanted. But the in, in this scenario, Kansas City lost the coin flip and got what they wanted. So, <clears throat> that's an L. You know, you can, you can call it whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. I'm not saying fire Kyle. I'm not saying, um, you know, it's the worst thing in the world. But... They wanted it second, and they took it first, and basically got first and third instead of second. And in the way this, the way the college rules written, you always want to go second. You know, you want to go second in the college overtime. Why? Because you're getting a try at it, no matter what, and you want to know what you have to do. 
The other team doesn't score at all. All you need is a field goal. If the team scores a field goal, you know you need a touchdown. If the team scored a touchdown, you know if you want to win, you got to get a touchdown and a two-point conversion. There's a lot of people that really believe there's real value in starting that drive, knowing what you need to win the game. And what's odd about it, Larry, is, is that Kyle goes about every single coin flip of the regular season thinking the later possession is more valuable to me. I'd rather have it to start the second half than the beginning of the game. So why that isn't in play for him in that moment too, again, it's just another head spinner. This is why nuanced discussions probably shouldn't be happening on Twitter where everybody just gets angry and says, well, your point is stupid. And let me tell you why I'm smart. There are different ways to look at this, but I really believe if you look at it, Kyle's way, you're going to be looking at, more Super Bowl defeats than Super Bowl wins going down the road with this. How about that? I wish that we could fast forward to next year's Super Bowl going to overtime and watch Kyle Shanahan not do the same thing again. Like, wouldn't that be the ultimate proof? Could we just fast forward to the very next opportunity where Kyle gets to make this choice? Do you think for a millisecond he's going to play it like he did last Sunday? I don't. I don't either. I don't either. Well, there you so, go. So, and, and yet um, <clears throat> there is a stubbornness to Kyle Shanahan, and we'll see. We'll see. Um, to me, though, to, to pretend that that was the difference in the Super Bowl, I don't view it as such. I, I watched the entire, and I would recommend anybody um, who's a Niner fan, go watch Baldy and his hour-long deal with Gargano, Who's his like podcast co-host and um, and Spagnolo? They had they had Spags on for an hour, and they went through every aspect of Super Bowl Sunday. And one of the things that is undeniable um, is that really what won the Super Bowl for Kansas City was not anything Kyle did. It was that it was the incredible play of their lockdown duo of Legereus Sneed going against Ayuk and Trent McDuffie blanketing Debo. Blanketing. Blanketing. McDuffie beat Debo. Sneed beat Ayuk. Now, Ayuk beat Sneed at the end and would have had the final say, but we all know that Chris Jones wrecked that play and um, Spencer Burford missed a block. So... But there you there you go. If you want to give me, I, I missed the Super Bowl Krugs. Give me the you know the Cliff Note version. That was it right there. Legereus Sneed bottled up Ayuk. Trent McDuffie bottled up Debo. The Niners had Debo as a huge part of their game plan, and they got very little out of it. And in, in reality, McCole Hardman and Jalen Watson. You say who are those guys? Exactly. Those guys had better numbers at the end of the Super Bowl than Ayuk and Debo. That's and the real shutting, reason. And after shutting down Kelsey in the first half, there was no shutting down Kelsey in the second half, specifically fourth quarter, last drive of the fourth quarter, first drive of overtime. That's when great players whip it out and show it to you. And that's when Travis Kelsey decided to whip it out and show it to us. It was, look, Larry, it was sticky coverage and pressure up the middle. You know, that, how do a lot of defenses win? What What's the old cliche? What win Super Bowls? Oh, that's right. It's not great quarterbacks. It's not great coaches. It's defenses. And Kansas City Chiefs defense, when it needed to be, was the best unit 
on the field, especially those corners and the pressure up the middle, frustrated the 49ers throughout the entire game. The one thing that I have heard, and I, I have not listened to the hour-long specific. I saw highlights of it, though, with Baldy and Spags and Gargano. Right. Um, it is clear what a level of respect that Steve Spagnolo has for Brock Purdy. He didn't think that he was playing the inferior quarterback in the game, a quarterback to be confused easily or taken advantage of easily. I hear nothing but, you know, deferential respect that Steve Spagnolo has when talking about Brock Purdy. And if that doesn't look at it this way, if you were a little worried about Brock Purdy after the Super Bowl, listen to Kansas City's defensive coordinator talk about your quarterback. You'll be less worried. Yeah, no, he was effusive in his praise of Purdy, saying that Purdy carved up his own defenses, made him go to man. Um, you know, Purdy was on the doorstep of doing what Brock Purdy does, winning winning games. And then uh, Spagnolo. I mean, if you go back and watch the end of that game, <clears throat> Niners have the Chiefs on the freaking ropes, on the absolute ropes at the end of the fourth quarter. And if they convert the third and four, they're, they're going to run that clock down, kick the field goal, and win the Super Bowl. I mean, they literally are. Um, and third and four, uh, that play blew up. They settled for a long Jake Moody field goal. Shockingly, he made it. And then the defense allowed Mahomes to do what Mahomes does, and that's drive the length of the field and get the winner. So, you know, I have nothing bad to say about Brock Purdy in this game. In fact, if there was something that truly was accomplished in this game, is that the 49ers can go into their offseason knowing that they've got their guy at quarterback. Now, I knew that ahead of time. You knew that ahead of time. But there were a lot of people, Damon, that were like, well, let's, let's see if he can win the Super Bowl. Let's see. Let's see. Well, he didn't win the Super Bowl. But I think he showed that the moment clearly wasn't too big, that he clearly has the that, that pedigree where he can – he can get it done on Super Bowl Sunday. I no doubt in my mind. And they have other needs, but he's not he's not one of them. They can go forward. We can finally go into this offseason going, you know what? Yeah, they're looking for a quarterback. They might be looking for a third to go with Brandon Allen and Brock Purdy. Again, I would much rather worry about a third quarterback than a starting quarterback, and I think everyone can pretty much nod along in agreement with that. Like and subscribe. It's great to have you here. President's Day. I don't even know why we still celebrate these guys, but we do, and it's a day off for most. Enjoy it. We're glad that you're starting with us. Make a little pot of coffee. Um, maybe there's another pot that's uh, sort of a part of your morning routine. Whatever. Whatever it takes for you to be comfortable with yours truly and Larry, that's what we want you to do. Put your feet up and enjoy the other storyline that I am sick and tired of, and I didn't see this one, you could tell that people are grasping for content straws in the last few days here, Larry. The George Kittle not falling on Christian McCaffrey's opening drive fumble being among the worst mistakes in the game and trying to pin that on Kittle is just ridiculous. First of all, he's 5 to 10 yards behind the play blocking and, you know, was he chatting up a guy? I don't know, you know, to, to whip your head around to think that a ball is going to be popping out. Again, we're just looking to place blame. How about this? There is plenty in this Super Bowl that George Kittle didn't do to criticize him for doing all those other things. To say it's Kittle's fault that they lost that opening fumble, 
is absurd in my mind. Would have been great if he recovered it? Sure, he didn't. But it's never anyone's fault they don't recover a fumble. These are hard to do. And I just don't see how that is a, a talking point du jour that I've heard a couple of times just, you know, consuming post-Super Bowl anxiety coverage. Well, I mean, it's it's right there for everybody to judge. You know what I mean? So that's that's really it, right? I mean, that's that's it more than anything. It's just right there. We can all see it. And when you can see it and you know that he didn't play to the whistle, it's like it's literally no different than the guy who's walking down the street and steps in shit. And we all go, oh, look, dude, you stepped in shit. It's like, you know, it's real obvious. It's like, great. So, I mean, it's, it, should he have played to the whistle? Yes, of course. You should always play to the whistle. But, I mean, beyond that, um, you know, I mean, that, that okay, you should play to the whistle. And let's get on to the next one. I mean, it's like George Kittle's a great player. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bang him over that. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he talks too much and this and that. You love him when he's chatting it up when, you know, they're winning games. But suddenly when something like this happens, it's like he's he should shut his pie hole. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, I don't know. Everybody's going to be. I understand why people were critical uh, because that's the way people are. People are critical. Um, but at the same time, come on, I'm, I'm cutting him some slack. This is the way he plays. He talks and that's it. So the third and final thing. And then if you have more beyond this, Larry, please put it right on the table. But I know this is something that is, uh, near and dear to your heart. When we spoke last night, you said you wanted to get into this. The third offseason storyline that I am prepared to be growing very tired of, am kind of tired of, also could have almost predicted the way it started and it's playing out. The saga of Brandon Ayuk's offseason has officially begun. Would you like to talk about how this saga has begun or where you think it's actually going? Because the way it's begun is pretty much part and parcel of all wide receiver in public negotiations these days. You show up with your sunglasses on, you feel detached, you talk about the Super Bowl you didn't win. You have a sibling or someone, a girlfriend, start putting it out on Instagram. We ain't happy here. This might be our last time here. These are the opening gambits of modern negotiations in NBA contracts. So it's, excuse me, NFL contracts. It's really not that uh, surprising that it's happening, a little bit disappointing, and a little unaware to me on, on Team Ayuk's behalf here because this is a guy who absolutely blossomed with a quarterback. If you're Brandon Ayuk, you shouldn't be looking to get away from a guy like Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. You should be looking to come even deeper into it than ever before. But that doesn't maybe get you the premium price that you're looking for on an open market, which you're not even on yet. So, well, we he, yeah, I mean, he's he's out there, Damon. I mean, the, the Niners have, you know, Lynch has maintained that he's very important to the 49ers and that they, you know, want to go forward with him. Um, but it's a negotiation and the Niners have Prague negotiating. Prague's a very tough negotiator. Uh, IU caught 75 balls over 1300 yards this year. He was an all pro. Um but one of the biggest questions of the offseason is, do you trade him or do you sign him? Now, John Lynch has called him a priority, and um, he's entering his fifth-year option at $14 million. 
He'd like a player like IU, quote, to be a part of you going forward. That was the quote from John Lynch. Well, so, and look, just not to cut you off, but if you're Brandon yeah. Ayuk's agent, if you're Brandon Ayuk's agent, you're not letting him out there for a one-year, $14 million deal. Well, that, I mean, that's that's what he's due to make this year, right? right? right. No, I'm saying, um, but you're, you're looking to renegotiate right now, you know what oh, I mean? sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, and the question is, um, does San Francisco want to have – you know, minimum, if you take Debo's 28 and Ayuk's, you know, 14, you're talking about $42 million devoted to wide receivers this year. That's going to be well over $50 million in future years. You're 32nd in the NFL in pass attempts in 2023. So are you going to pay $50 million when you throw the ball less than any other team in pro football to two wide receivers? I mean, you, I would almost you, look at it like, yes, because you can't now, trade Debo. So it's not like you, know, you people, a lot of people go, well, just trade Debo. Well, no, because Debo's not worth anything at $28 million. You're not going to, you're only going to get like a fifth round pick for Debo. And then you got the dead cap space or whatever doesn't go over in terms of money look it's just that they gave Debo a bad contract there's no other way to look at it based on what he's done in the biggest game that he's just played in um and uh, we still like him as a player there's no doubt that Debo is a a perfect niner in many many ways but he's also flawed when you look at the actual salary that's committed to him and if he were to have a number that stood in the way of doing business with Brandon Ayuk, who is much more of a one wide receiver. And, and here's the thing, Brandon Ayuk isn't a traditional number one wide receiver. He's more like a one and a half, but he's, he's this team's number one receiver, right? I mean, he's the 49ers best receiver. So what he is in comparison to the NFL really shouldn't matter to the 49ers. I think that they need to bring him back. But if I were to meet you out on the Island of, okay, we do throw the ball. The 49ers do throw the ball very, very little. Therefore, saving a little money at wide receiver is something that they got to do, and trading Brandon Ayuk gets you a return. Not that I want Brandon Ayuk traded, but Larry, let's say that deal has to go down. What are you asking for? What is a fair ask for John Lynch if you're really dangling Ayuk? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the ultimate question. What is the fair question? fair price and and who's coming knocking now um there's you know kansas city needs a wide receiver <laughs> i mean they're going to get a wide receiver this um this uh, off season um the raiders according to reports need a wide receiver they've got the 13th pick in the first round they also have a couple picks and i think in round two the new york giants need a wide receiver they pick in the top 10 um, you know, could you get a could you get their top ten pick? Uh, would you have to trade more than that? To would you have to be Ayuk and your pick for the top ten pick? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what's going to be out there. I would say a middle first round pick is the least that I'd want to take, and I'd probably want to get two for one. So I'd probably want to go. You know, um, picking either- a player. Ayuk and a Ayuk and a player for a pick and a player, or Ayuk for two picks, uh, but one of them's got to be in the first round, and 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 preferably in the middle of the first round, because I think, okay, so if you moved him, what would you do? I think you would turn around, and you would, you would want somebody, you know, in the middle of the first round, like a 
Taliesi Fuaga or J.C. Latham, you know, a plug-and-play right tackle would probably be your pick if you got if you made that. So, would you rather have another wide receiver like Ayuk, or would you rather you know um, trade Ayuk, get a couple picks, and turn them into that that blue chip tackle and maybe a replacement wide receiver? Um, I mean, it's it's a tough call. It's a tough call. But when you look at their situation, I would say. They, and by the way, there is a report out this morning. Uh, column by Dan Graziano, ESPN.com, talking through the whole Brandon Ayuk situation. And the quote as it pertains to Ayuk says, the most likely outcome to me, the most likely way this shakes out is Ayuk ends up getting traded to a team where he's the clear number one wideout where he can get that extension that he wants, leaving the Niners to draft his replacement um, kind of like the DeForest Buckner situation. And I don't know how I feel about that because I really like Ayuk and, and he's really, really good. But, you know, there are other receivers in this draft. Um, Brian Thomas from LSU, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina, Rice's kid, Brendan Rice, I really like, and maybe the third round. So, you I mean, there, there's other receivers and um, – and they and you you got to get that blue chip tackle. I mean, at at some point you got to you have Brock Purdy. You now have to protect him. Now, it, what's more important, protecting him or giving him weapons? Because Ayuk's his number one weapon, you know, especially on those in in breaking routes. So it's gonna be a tough call. It's a tough call either way. But if you ask me, bet everything you have on one thing or another. I'm betting they're gonna trade Ayuk for a mid first round pick take an offensive lineman and then replace him in the draft or in free agency. That's the other Larry, thing. There's there's other free agents. You could go sign Calvin Ridley. You could go sign Mike Evans. You could go, you know, and I'm not sure what they would cost. Maybe you could get them cheaper than Iuk. I don't know. Um, but there's a bunch of free agents out there too. Again, I, I understand it, but I don't like it, especially in Kyle's system. It takes a couple of years to learn it. Where Who is the plug-and-play wide receiver that in year one with the Niners made a difference. I don't think there is one, Larry. I like, mean, wasn't it, Jerry Rice. No, no, no. But I mean, I mean, like it takes a year or two, I think. No, to I know. You're Kyle's right. System. And and Kyle is extra hard on coaching his wide receivers. Brandon Ayuk's career began in the doghouse. So many careers began in Kyle's doghouse on that side of the ball. And I just think that finally, here it is. You got the wide receiver and the quarterback and it is officially clicking i guess what i'm surprised about here is that brandon Ayuk seems to be full of so many sour grapes about this and maybe again it's just performative public negotiations i don't know but i'm surprised that brandon Ayuk isn't approaching this from a let's figure out a way to keep this going not so much the all right if you know maybe it's time for me to move on it just feels a little funny and strange and maybe this is you know Kyle wearing out his welcome with players a little bit we know that Debo came very close to this when he was looking at his free agency he had problems with the way that Kyle was looking at him and wanted to use him that went to like just veteran rest days during practice weeks to of course there was the whole element of is Debo more of a running back and how should he be paid? There was that element that there's no element to that, to the IUK negotiation. I'm just like, here it is. Finally, 
a pair of jeans that fit well and you want a new pair of jeans like i just I don't like well, you, you know, the, the thing about it, though, is that you you can't get um, tied emotionally. I mean, look at Kansas City. They had to get rid of uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, this is what's happening to wide receivers all over the league. I mean, A.J. Brown was great in Tennessee, and then all of a sudden it was time to pay him, and they're like, what? You know, we're not paying him. So, um, you know, it's it's – these are you. These are tough decisions. These are really, really tough decisions. You can't pay everybody. Uh, you've already paid Debo. You're not going to be able to part ways with Debo. You also have Juwan Jennings, who just really played well in the Super Bowl. He's restricted, so you probably want to bring him back. Um, you know, you, there's always. It seems like every year in the draft is a good year for wide receivers. There's so many teams that play the spread in college that there's just a lot of good wide receivers in every draft. Um, and they badly need a blue chip offensive tackle or two because Trent is probably not going to be you know too far away from the end. So they've really got to um, you know they got to figure out a way to to make it all work. So it's I, you know I don't I don't agree necessarily that um, you know that I'm I'm not in a rush to move Ayuk either. But the 49ers are not going to if he wants. $28 million or $30 million, you're really going to spend $58 million in wide receivers when you don't throw that much? So, I, you know, well, maybe it's going to be a very difficult uh, negotiation. And it sounds like, um, you know, if you ask me what's going on here with the dialogue and the rhetoric and the, and the, the tone of the negotiations, is that they probably already exchanged numbers and they're probably worlds apart. And so... Uh, that's probably Ayuk's camp kind of reacting to Parag's early low offers, and they're saying, "Hey, look, if those are the offers, get us out of here." I mean, it's all about guaranteed dollars, and how you whack that up is where you need a creative front office guy like Parag to make it all fit. It just, how about this? I think you are playing a dangerous game here because they're are very few wide receivers who affect a running game the way that Brandon Ayuk does. Brandon Ayuk is a fierce downfield blocker. He's got all sorts of squabbles and is bought in to being a blocking wide receiver when the play is being run his way for McCaffrey or whoever. And that is a tough thing to cash in because I think you, you not only slow down your own passing attack by having to groom another first option wide receiver, but you slow down your running attack because you have Ayuk out and you're probably losing Juwan Jennings and Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk in different uniforms. I think mean like right automatically mean Christian McCaffrey isn't as good next year as he was this past year, because those two guys open up huge lanes for him. So how can this 49er team not miss a beat? By saying goodbye to both Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk, you hurt your passing game and your running game with those guys gone. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question. But once again, I mean, you can't pay everybody, and you got to make really, really tough decisions. Um, and and you have to. Where are you getting your offensive line from? I mean, you got to. I think we all kind of watched as as the Niners' right side of their offensive line crumbled in the Super Bowl. they got to have a better right side of their line. So how do they get it? You know, they're going to have to probably invest 
in in the draft in somebody and it's, it's um you know it's just it's a very difficult thing to do so and, and if you said to me what are they likely to do i think they're gonna i think they're gonna wind up trading iuk and doing the buckner armstead thing all and kinlaw thing all over again and just hope that they hit on the on the wide receiver i think they're gonna if you ask me what they're gonna do i think they're going two for one i think they're gonna go two for one and they're gonna try to trade Ayuk and replace him in the draft and use whatever draft capital they get in the middle of the first round on that much needed plug and play JC Latham, Taliesi Fuaga, you know, that right tackle that starts from day one. I it is a risk though. There's there's no question because what if you draft a receiver and he's like lots of receivers and he needs three years before you're ready? You know that's that's a real that's a real issue. So, right. are, you no, me, are, are you telling me Ronnie Bell is ready to go in year two? <laughs> I would better, say no. He better be. Danny yeah. Gray and you. Danny Gray's been on the team for what thirteen years now. Hasn't played a game yet. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Danny Gray can't stay healthy. Ronnie Bell's kind of small. You know, Chris Conley and Willie Sneed are a little too old, um, but. If you do look at the free agent market for wide receivers, you know there are some pretty good ones out there. I'll I'll throw you a few names: Mike Evans, Calvin Ridley. Um, Is Mike Evans seriously out there now, free agent wise? Yeah, Hollywood Brown, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Lavisca Chenault, Chase Claypool—they're all free agents. So I mean, there may be, and there, it's a good free agent. It's a good draft for for a wide receiver. So maybe, maybe they think, feel confident uh, going that direction. I just, again, rookie wide receivers and Kyle Shanahan, it's like oil and water. We haven't seen them mix. Well, not yet. Uh, welcome to wake up Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger hit like, and subscribe. I know that memberships are available and I got to tell everyone, Larry, we're getting together once again with a little plus mania three, the revenge on March 3rd, which is a Sunday. We're going to be getting together starting at four o'clock at the halfway club out Crocker, Amazon on Geneva. My buddies have opened a bar. We're going to be throwing open the doors and asking a whole bunch of people to come on in. We're going to be inviting many from the island of misfit toys i'm going to put up the flag to fp to paulie mac and hopefully larry you can come on by and we're going to get together and uh tip some back and have a good time with a whole bunch of people who are here almost daily supporting what we're doing and we thank you so very much the community aspect of all this is is really real and uh, we hope to see you there again march 3rd four o'clock halfway club it's plus mania three, the revenge. So come on out. Hopefully you can make it. Larry, uh, should we bring our wives and have them cut half drunken videos about how proud they are about? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know if I, after the last one, if my, I'll be able to drag my wife there, but I'll be Amy, there. Amy, no longer available for public appearances. But, <laughs> uh, we certainly hope that she can come out. We hope everyone comes on out and, uh, and, and hangs out. It should be a really good time. So look, beyond the, George Kittle catching too much heat for a fumble that he didn't fall on the overtime nonsense, which I don't even know why anyone's talking about it. The Niners played it wrong. They laughed at a loss to show for it. And the Brandon Ayuk saga. What is something that you are leaning into or are already sick of from this offseason in terms of storylines, Larry? Well, I mean, sick of, I'm not sick of it, but I, I just had Kev send me, I did a video the other day. Um, 
and I said that that in the video that you, this may be the off season that we see the the uniting of the Bosa brothers um, in San Francisco, and um, there's a rumor out this morning that the Chargers are likely to release Joey Bosa, and I talked about this in a video on my channel last week, um, and I, I I knew this was coming. Uh, that they were going to release Joey Bosa. And I just think that this is, when you look at Randy Gregory and Chase Young and and Cleveland Farrell and all the different guys they've got that they potentially could re-sign, um, I think it makes a lot of sense to go after to go after uh, Joey Bosa here. I mean, this, is the, this would be the time to unite these guys. Um, Joey Bosa's 28. He's 6'5". He's 280. He's got two... He had... You know, if they're going to release him, he'll be out of his deal. But he has two years left on his contract. Um, he's making $36.6 million. Again, so this is why, I mean, like, I love you, Larry. What are you talking about? If they can't afford to do business with Brandon Ayuk, how the hell can you reinvest in another premium-priced defensive lineman when you just saw a premium-priced defensive line do very little in the second half of the year. I, I just, how, yeah, how, but I mean, you don't know what kind of price tag you can get. I mean, you know, it's a different deal. It's a different player at a different time. You got Ayuk looking to make Buco bucks, and we'll we'll see what Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa's only played in fourteen games over the last two years. He only has nine sacks over the last two years, but he's still a premier guy. But they've got the Niners the rest of his career for the price of a song because he wants to come play with his brother, that's how you get that deal done. Anything short of that? How do you, he's Well, I mean, I'd be willing to pay him something. I'm just not – I mean, you, you were paying Chase Young and Randy Gregory, and, you know, uh, you you know, you potentially are going to – there's talk about re-signing these guys. You're going to need to have some edge piece. Um, all I'm saying is maybe let those guys walk and go with Joey and, and see if you can get Joey on a better deal. Um and maybe I'm, you can, maybe you can't. I don't know, but I this would be the time to research it. Um, this guy's a four-time. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. Got to walk up to Nick and say, "You want to play with your brother? We need to restructure you right now." Yeah, I mean, and there's and there may be a way to do this. Um, you know, and and here's the thing with with uh, the Chargers, Khalil Mack and Bosa are both in that category, and Mack's coming off a 17 sack season. So they're going to re-sign him, and so that means, and they're forty-five point eight million. The Chargers are over the projected NFL salary cap of two forty-two. So until I mean, I don't know what they're carrying over from twenty-three. Those numbers will get tabulated soon, but right now, before that's tabulated, the Chargers have the fourth worst cap situation currently in the NFL, while the Niners. Uh, comparatively, are three point seven million over the cap. So, I'm just saying, um, Joey has big talent, and Joey's done it before. Joey, I think I would rather have, and I know most of you would rather have Joey Bosa over Chase Young, Randy Gregory, or Cleveland Farrell. Um, I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk over any of those names. Yeah, Brandon but I mean, Ayuk, who fits like a glove is absolutely in the bullseye of his prime as a football player. 
I mean, again, if you got if you got a lot of money to spend in one. But direction, once again, that's fifty million dollars on wide receivers on a team that was 32nd in pass attempts. But how much are you spending on defensive ends for a team that doesn't have a straight up gaudy sack total at the end of a year? Well, I mean, the, that's that, you know, you're presuming that who knows, maybe they would have a gaudy sack total. I mean, what I'm saying is I'd rather have Joey Bosa opposite Nick Bosa than Chase Young, Randy Gregory, Cleveland Farrell. I'm tired of talking about guys whose motors don't rev in the biggest games of the year, at least I know Joey Bosa's motor is going to rev high. So, and, 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 and there's no question he would have to take a reduced deal. I mean, he's not going to be making $36.6 million if he comes to the 49ers. It has to be, it has to be a much, much more team friendly deal, but maybe he would take that. You know, maybe he would take that to, uh, to play with his brother and who knows. And I don't know how their cap's going to shake out, but um, they're, they're always tough decisions to make. But at the same time, a guy like Joey Bosa would definitely be interesting. Interest, I would be interested in him. I'm already getting ready for a, uh, you know, he'll miss the next four games with a tweaked hamstring or something like that. Like, he's just always hurt. I mean, Joey Bosa not playing for the Chargers is a bigger memory for me of his Chargers career than him playing for the Chargers. He's always oh, I know. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's, he's a talented player though. I mean, you're talking about a really, really talented edge rusher. Um, I'd love to see it. I think it would be, I think it'd be great if you could make the money work, which is a big if, but if you could make the money work, I'd be interested. I mean, you know, I, I think this is the year they probably say goodbye to, you know, Kyle Husechek. You know, this is probably they they do have Brock on a rookie deal for one more year, so they're getting that that awesome quarterback play for eight hundred grand. You know, they still have one more year to have some expensive non quarterback items. Uh, we'll see what they choose to do, but they've got they've got some tough decisions because the IUK decision is going to be tough. Um, you know. Heck, I mean, how are they going to – where are the tackles coming from? You're going to have to find some tackles. Um, you can't go forward with what you got at, at on the right side of your offensive line. To me, the, the this offseason has to include a rebuilding of your D-line and a rebuilding of the right side of your O-line. If you don't do that, you're not going to have a chance to, to, to compete for a Super Bowl next year. Larry, it is uh, Monday, February 19th, President's Day. Will the 49ers have hired a defensive coordinator by end of business Friday? Hmm. I'll say yes. I'll say they, they'll get it done this week. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm throwing out Bill Belichick. Everybody laughed. Um, I got mocked openly. And uh, and continue to in certain spots, but I'll stay with that. I I I think there's already an article out where Shanahan said it. I remember sitting there what when he said it. Hey, you know what? If Bill Belichick's out there and I've got to fire somebody on my staff to create room for him, so be it. I'd be stupid not to do it. So now they don't. Bill Belichick's out there and they don't have to fire anybody on their staff. Um, they can just sign him. So now it's just about, hey Jed, can you can you build can you put up a, a big pot of money for for Bill? The nice thing is that unlike the players, uh, there is no cap 
for the coaches. So Shanahan's making $14 million a year, and Belichick made 25. And would he take two years on $25 million, cut his paycheck in half, basically, $12.5 million, make less than the head coach, but still a ton, well, and uh, to be the here, defensive coordinator? Here are the fringe benefits along with this bill. You have to talk to the media once a month. That's it. Like, we'll, we'll never put you in front of the media. You don't do anything but coach football. It's everything you've ever wanted as a football coach with none of the demands that the NFL puts on a head football coach, which you always loathed to begin with. Um, you know, and it I'm, takes Kyle. It takes Kyle completely out of the defensive coaching conversation. He's not even. He's not even really on those headsets. If Belichick is is here, I don't even think Kyle's on the defensive headset. Well, and and I can already hear the mocking of oh, it took Kyle hiring Bill Belichick to win a Super Bowl. Who cares? And I really hey. do think after this last Super Bowl loss, Kyle is in the I don't give a shit who gets credit for anything anymore. I need a Lombardi Trophy. I got one more year to do it with this team as it's kind of constructed right now. Well, you know, it's so funny you said that because a lot of people, Damon, said the exact same thing in 1994. This Super Bowl is not going to really be not going to really count because you got Dion and Dion took away half the field. And yeah, you had to go get Dion to win the Super Bowl. Now here it is years later. People just are like, yeah, they got five. Yeah, they got five because nobody cares. Nobody remembers or cares who was on the team. Um, you know, and, and yeah, is Shanahan going to have some people going, Hey, you needed Belichick to get over. Yeah. Um, but guess what? Both these guys have to minimize their ego and check it at the door. And so I think it works because of that. I think it works because Bill's got to check his ego the same way that Kyle needs to check his ego. Um, I think it works. So I, I'm, that's the guy that I want. And I've heard the other names. So so let's let's kind of go over them one by one here because you know this is either going to come from outside the house or inside the house. And obviously Bill Belichick would come from outside the house, but coming from outside the house is then Bill Belichick, and there are no questions to be asked beyond it's Bill Belichick. Um what do you think? Let's start with this. What do you think is the singular biggest reason? why Steve Wilkes was let go, because I think it is easy to demonstrate that the defense had a pretty good year. It's also easy to point at some shortcomings and what didn't work. And ultimately, Larry, I think it just comes down to fit. Kyle was uncomfortable with the fit of the guy and the way he went about coaching from back to front. Kyle envisioned it more from front to back. And I, I, you know, he said it. I'm not trying to question the man, the man's work ethic. It just, it feels like Kyle is just trying to say like, it just didn't fit philosophically. I wanted it to fit better than it actually did. And I'm not trying to scapegoat anybody, but I, I don't want to think about this anymore. And with him, I had to think about it. Yeah. I think you kind of hit it there. I would say trust is the key word. He didn't trust. He, Kyle wants to have, Kyle wants to dial up plays, sequence plays, call plays. He doesn't want to, Worry about defense. I think he needs a defensive head coach. Um, so that that's why I, th- I think he needs somebody that he absolutely trusts without a shadow of a doubt. And that's why Belichick's perfect because he doesn't have to worry about Belichick. He can just sit there and just be like, "Bill, 
do what you got to do. You know, two more. You're outfits. you're you're the guy, and and right. I don't. I think Kyle. I, I think what was the biggest problem? People kept you know the people that keep talking about this Wilkes thing and keep filibustering about the Super Bowl. Guys, it's not about the Super Bowl. It's not about what happened in the Super Bowl. It's about the fact that several times over the course of the year, the guy who was calling the front and the coverage called cover called fronts and coverages that weren't wed to one another. So you can't speed up Joe Burrow and play off-man coverage. Okay? You can't send extra rushers at Kirk Cousins and then have a soft zone behind it. That's That happened over and over and over again, including in these playoffs. So that's the big issue right there, is that it wasn't one unit. Whether it goes front to back, back to front, I don't think it really matters as long as, as, long as what's happening up front, the guys in the coverage unit understand what it is and are complementing that. When the front and the back end don't complement one another and you've got one guy making the calls, you lose trust. And then also I think there's something to be said for Steve. I mean, look at his football card. He's played, He's coached for 25 years. He's had 23 jobs in 25 years. So, you know, he, his tendency is that he moves around. I don't know why. I wouldn't begin to – I'll say this. I liked him. I found him to be um, direct and, and easy to deal with. It didn't um, feel like there was a problem with the players. felt like the players liked him as well. I, I, I don't have any examples where that's not the case, though there are some examples of, of, of some of the Niner linebackers saying that they wanted him on the field, that there was some communication difficulty with him up in the booth. But that has probably more to do with what they were used to than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Steve's a good, good man, good coach will get another job, but, um, there's something that about him that makes him keep moving every other year. So I think we both agree that, you know, as we look through the forest of defensive coordinators, uh, Bill Belichick would be the 12 point buck that you would like to shoot mount and hang on your wall if that could happen but it's probably not going to or certainly drifting into the lane of unlikely to happen so a couple more outside of the family options what about pete carroll what do you think pete carroll's doing i th- i think pete carroll is is too old at this point i mean okay. i know okay. i i mean and it's it's year to year but i mean it's it's case by case but i just get the feeling and i've asked about i've asked uh, around to some people who know pete carroll and they said that you know pete's not going to not not in a rush to join kyle down here okay that he that he's not thrilled with the way things ended up there but probably is not going to coach again I'm saying maybe like a, a spite hire, you know, a, a, a spite job for, for Pete Carroll. If he's really angry about how it ended up in Seattle, um, Mike Vrabel, obviously kind of is a name that a lot of people didn't think would be left standing when the game of coaching musical chairs ended. Mike Vrabel is available. Um, what do you feel about his name being attached to this? I haven't seen much of it at all. Well, I mean, I, I love that name. I, I think Vrabel's a very, very good coach, uh, Titans head coach, 
Texans defensive coordinator. He has coordinated a defense before. I also kind of think like one of the key free agents that the Niners are going to try to sign this offseason is probably Aziz Al-Shair. He just coached him in Tennessee. Maybe that helps um, Vrabel's candidacy a little bit. But I definitely could see them making a big play for Aziz just because he knows the system. Um, he was on the sideline for the Green Bay game. Um, I think they might go after him. Another name that I've seen, it's it's sort of a, yes, he'd be coming from outside the house, but he'd actually be coming back inside the house. When D'Amico left to take the Texans job, he took Chris Kiffin with him to coach linebackers. Chris Kiffin maybe coming back to San Francisco, elevated to defensive coordinator. What do you think of that name? Obviously, his brother is Lane. His father is Monty. Defense runs in the family's veins. I mean, there's a real trust there. He was just here not that long ago. He also was the guy who handpicked Aziz Al-Shair and brought him to the Niners as an undrafted free agent. So once again, if, if you're trying to get Aziz, um, Chris Kiffin makes sense. He doesn't have a lengthy history at defensive coordinator, but he has done it. And he was with the Niners for two years. He knows their culture. He knows their defense. Uh, he knows what it looked like under Sala. Um, very popular, I'm sure, with John Lynch, who played for Monty Kiffin. So, yeah, I think Chris Kiffin, uh, his name is absolutely on the short list. And to keep it internal, again, one of the problems with Steve Wilkes is that, you know, he didn't come in with a system to plug in, but he never quite got the system that he was plugging himself into. A man who completely understands the system and I know as a position coach that you and I have been talking about how good he is for years now is Chris Kasurik. Is Chris Kasurik even interested in doing more in his coaching career than defensive line coach? Or is he that kind of sort of Jim Tom Sula, happy to be where I am, don't really want to be more than what I am type of coach? And there's nothing wrong with that. There are yeah. some guys who know who they are and what they are, and they do this really well, and they don't want more on their plate. They just want to do what they do well. Is that where Chris Kasurik lives? You know, I would never want to speak definitively for the man because obviously I'm not him and I don't know exactly how he's feeling in the moment. But I think you're right. I think you've pegged that perfectly. I mean, I think I think he's he's great at what he does and doesn't want to do too much more. I think he would be, you know, he's a phenomenal D-line coach. But, you know, here's the one thing that I didn't like this year is I didn't like the fact that even though he was a tremendous D-line coach, um, you know, Steve called all the action up front. Steve called all the games up front. And I don't I don't think they were quite well as well choreographed or as well-timed or as, um, as useful as they've been in the past. So I'd like to see Chris take that over, but I, I think he's a D-line coach. I don't think he wants to be a D.C. Is there a name we haven't gotten to that you would like to insert into this conversation right here and right now? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, uh, Daniel Bullock's is interesting. He's been with the Niners for a while. He's 40. He's their DB coach. He has no play calling or DC experience, but he does have the trust of Kyle. They do try to build from within. He's one name. Nick Sorensen is another name. He's their defensive passing game coordinator and you know, he was Jacksonville's special teams coordinator, so he's been a coordinator before, but not a defensive coordinator. He has no D.C. experience. Um, he's specifically tied to the defensive backfield. 
Uh, he's only been a Niner assistant for two years, but he's a guy that I think a lot of people are impressed with. Brandon Staley, the ex-Chargers um, head coach, was the Rams defensive coordinator when they went to the Super Bowl. I think his no name one. is out there. So it felt like his name was attached to the job early in this search and then has become detached from it, almost based on negative public reaction to the name Brandon Staley being attached to this position. It, it's it, it, it's certainly something that fans were like, no, 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 no. But there's another guy who could probably, you know, the, the case got, could be made. He's yeah. a very good defensive coach, and that's where he should have topped out. And being a head coach was too much of an ask, and he was way too aggressive and kind of shot himself in his own foot there. Yeah, so he's, you know, I mean, the last game that he was a, a head coach for the Chargers, his defense gave up 63 points to the Raiders. So, I mean, there's, you know, if you're only as good as your last show or his last game, he ain't that good. Um, but, you know, he does have success with the Rams and um, as a defensive coordinator. And maybe, you know, some guys top out a coordinator and they're really good. I mean, um you think of North Turner, really good offensive coordinator. Dave Wanstead, really good defensive coordinator. But when they were asked to be head coaches, they eh, not so much. Buddy so Ryan. Buddy Ryan um, and and others, Richie Pettibone, and you can go way way back. Um, but yeah, I I would say the only other name out there, the kind of a, a a fast you know on the fast track to head coaching success is the Titans cornerback coach, the former slot corner Chris Harris who played at uh, University of Arizona and was always a really good player for Denver. Um, he's now the Titans cornerback coach, and a lot of people feel like he's a, he's going to be a very good NFL head coach at some point. So, um, you know, the fact is he, he could be a defensive coordinator kind of in the same line as Aaron Glenn, who had a real good year this year as the Jets defensive coordinator who went right from playing into the league, coordinating the secondary, and now is a D.C. and a good one. So they're saying Harris is in that same on that same track. So those are the guys. Chris Kiffin, Chris Harris, Chris Kacharek, Brandon Staley, Nick Sorensen, Daniel Bullocks, Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick. There might be a couple other names out there. I think Kansas City's secondary coach might be considered. Uh, there might be a couple other names that we're not we're not a privy to, but um, to me, go get Belichick. Go get Belichick. Belichick is the one that will make everybody go. Okay, now you've got your defense solved. And now let's see what 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 the rest of the offseason looks like. <laughs> if 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 I could work a little blue on this President's Day, Bill Belichick would be the ultimate. We ain't fucking around. Hire. Be awesome. It'd be awesome. And he he would have to talk to the media every now and then. But you know, I mean, even that, I I think it works because I think there's I think you can make the money work if you want. I don't think his options are great. I mean, look at your your Bill Belichick. You've got a year or two, let's say here, after your 24-year awesome run in, in New England. What do you want to do? You're not going to coach in college. There are no more head coaching jobs available this year. There's no guarantee you'll get one next year. Right. Do you want um, to coach? You've coached every year in the NFL since 1975, and it's like, what would you rather do? Would you rather yuck it up on TV with Clarissa Thompson and and Richard Sherman or whatever, or would you rather work for Kyle Shanahan and potentially win a Super Bowl? And to me, if I'm and I've thought this through, I think he's going to choose the latter. 
And I think the Niners are going to have interest, and I think they're going to work it out. And I, I know people are thinking, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. You know, come back to me in a few weeks. I, I, I think this could get done.